Can Christians use their liberty in Christ to justify drinking some alcohol? Or is complete abstinence the only option for committed believers, especially in light of a study showing 30% of American adults have abused alcohol or suffer from alcoholism? And what are some real solutions to the health care crisis in America? That's today with guest host Barry Kramer. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Hey, I'm glad to be back with you today. It's a real privilege. I enjoyed yesterday uh, having the time to talk to you about Michael Moore's uh, prescription for the American healthcare industry. We talked about that for a good while, and we're pretty much, uh, I spent the time attacking the idea of socialized medicine, the notion that it's free is false, the idea that we should hand things over to the government and change our basic system of understanding about our relationship between citizens and the government is wrong. I, you know, I think it's wrong-headed in every direction, but I also know that it is easier to destroy something, like for us to uh, criticize socialized medicine, than to build something, that is, to give a legitimate answer. And so what I want to do here as we get started today is provide uh, something of a private enterprise answer, uh, just a few suggestions for things we could change that might make a difference in the medical industry. And, of course, if you elect me to be president, then I'll enact these things. Well, of course, that'll be difficult. I'm not on the ballot. But if you'll write it in, I think we might be able to get there. Anyway, uh, boy, that'd be, a, that'd be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, what I want to do is mention the idea, uh, uh, some ideas, Ideas that I think would have an impact on the on the medical community and on the things that are going on with our healthcare industry. I, I'm not necessarily uh, saying that they would be adopted in our country. I think we've gone so far down the road to handing things over to authorities, to governments that. Uh, we may not be willing to take the step back to free enterprise and laissez-faire economics and the things that really make us the country that we are to begin with. But uh, we might be, and it's worth investigating the possibility. But then we're going to change topics, and uh, we're going to move on to talk about what you heard in the introduction, uh, the issue of alcohol. Raised that when we were talking about how we lose so many students coming out of high school and going into uh, the college years and just out of college. And when the topic came up, of course, the issue is, well, do you think nobody should ever drink? Is it always wrong? Is, is, it, is it a sin to drink and all that kind of stuff? So we're going to bring up alcohol, give you an opportunity to give us your feedback on that in just a little bit when we first give out the numbers. But, you know, before that, I have someone on the line who I think can bridge the gap between uh, those two issues. He's going to be able to discuss both of them. One, uh, be able to talk about the healthcare industry because he's a physician and he's a consultant now, a part owner in a business that does 
does some consulting regarding healthcare, the, the healthcare industry in relation to private enterprise companies that provide uh, coverage, health coverage for their employees. They give advice to them. And so we're going to talk to him, but then you'll also hear his testimony and how his life was changed and how that involved uh, alcohol uh, and a transformation that took place in him. Uh, at least I'm going to ask him about it. I'm hoping he'll be willing to share it with us. He shared it with uh, his church, I know. In fact, I'll just say now, uh, I'm grateful not only for our listeners here in the Metroplex, obviously on KCBI, but also KSYE 91.5 in Frederick, Oklahoma, and all my good friends down in San Angelo at KCRN 93.9 and 1340 AM uh, on the radio there. I, I just really appreciate all the folks down there. And uh, I know this man, Dr. David Herbert, he's a physician, uh, through that church, Glen Meadows Baptist Church down in San Angelo, where I've been interim pastor lately. And boy, it's been a blessed experience for me, a great church to be at, great testimonies of Christ down there. And he's one of the first men I met in that church, and he shared his testimony with the congregation one day. And a little bit later when we're talking to him, I'm going to ask him to share that with you. But before that, I want to give him an opportunity just to tell us about uh, his view on uh, health care and what's going on in the healthcare industry and why he's moved to doing consulting instead of uh, instead of being being in active practice and things like that. So, uh, David, I think we've got you on the line right there, right? Yeah, we do. All How right. I'm doing great. It's nice to talk to you. I appreciate it. I just want to know, want you to know right off uh, from the very first start, I'd, I'd vote for you. <laughs> yeah, so, I appreciate uh, that. There's if one. Huh? To run, if you're considering running, let us know. Yeah, there's one, and, uh, right. and I'm sure your wife would cancel out that vote. We'll see. Huh? The, uh, listen, this, this is the thing I want to ask you first. Well, uh, you know, first of all, you were in medical practice for a while. Tell us about your practice and your background, just real quickly. Yeah, I was in medical practice uh, for thirty past 30 years. 25 years I spent in the emergency room, and five years I spent in general practice. And during that time, I had a, a lot of opportunity to be involved in the business of medicine, too, so I'm very familiar familiar with that in terms of dealing with hospitals and doctors and, right. and patients. In fact, if you've been in it for the past 30 years, you probably saw some of the transition that's taken place in the last 25 to 30 years. Well, right? I'd say transition into just pretty much utter chaos so <laughs> in terms of the financing of health care. Right. Yeah, it, it, no doubt. It's a mess. So tell, explain to us now what you do uh, now with your company, GM&A. Uh, our company's GM&A, and we consult with large group health plans that are self-funded. Okay. In other words, they don't have insurance. They're paying their own claims. And what we do is we help them get the best value for their for their dollar. And uh, we also watch the payment of claims to be sure that they're paid accurately. And in so doing, we're, we're able to, to reduce their costs. Up. Okay. So what's your impression of what's wrong with the healthcare industry? Can you give us just a quick summary well, of it? Well, uh, I'd say... Uh, uh, to sum it all up, it's, it looks like the costs are just headed down the drain. It's just healthcare uh, costs are getting so out of control that pretty soon no one's going to be able to afford it except the, except the wealthy in this country. What do you think makes it so expensive? <clears throat> well, I, I think uh, uh, there's uh, overutilization is probably the number one thing. Uh, people uh, just are not living the healthier lifestyles that they once lived, and uh, they tend to go to the doctor, and, and they expect the medicine to be an answer for a lot of life's problems that that is not really a good answer. But it's but that's what a lot of people believe. Right now, of course, you, you know. I mean, you worked in an ER, so you know that some people are in the hospital because they just had an accident or some misfortune or some disease crept up on them and they weren't aware of it or something like that. But you're suggesting that uh, uh, what, I mean, I'm just, I know you just have to guess at this, but what percentage would you say of our uh, illnesses and infirmities and the things that drive us to the doctor or hospital are self-inflicted? Well, it's uh, my perspective completely changed when I came to the Lord about 11 years ago. But I would, I would estimate now that probably 70% plus of the things that 
that uh, are lifestyle things that actually uh, produce health care problems that they end up going to the hospital or the doctors for. And when you say lifestyle things, uh, you mean like uh, what kind of behavior? Well, Just give us an uh, illustration. you mentioned alcohol earlier. That's okay. one. And, uh, uh, but uh, also uh, obesity is another one, uh, right. which leads to diabetes and heart disease. Just our di- dietary habits. Right. Uh, sexual promiscuity leads to a lot of problems. Recently there was a discussion regarding the the increased incidence of cervical cancer in women who have uh, who uh, who have the HPV virus who can contract that. So right. there's there's just any number. And also accidents too. You don't think of that, but uh, you know drinking and driving is still a major cause of car accidents. Yeah, right. So, yeah. I, so I, those I, are all lifestyles. Sort I, of. I do understand that. Let me uh, let me throw a few things out here to our audience now and uh, give them just some suggestions from me. This is really just my idea as I glance at the healthcare industry and I talk about this all the time in bioethics uh, classes. Uh, but as I look at it, some of the things that need to happen, just uh, want everybody's, uh, everybody just to stop and just kind of listen to this and see if this makes any sense to you. And then, Dr. Herbert, I'd love your feedback if you're willing to give it to us also on this. Um, I think number one is uh, if we want to make a difference in the healthcare industry here and now without socializing it but looking for a real solution that could still involve private enterprise, uh, the number one problem that shows up in things like Michael Moore did is this conflict of interest that the HMOs have. They're making uh, medical decisions, but they're also trying to save money by not allowing the patient to have medical care. It's the same problem that came up with capitation a few years ago when every single patient uh, that was treated by a doctor was money out of that doctor's pocket. And uh, that conflict of interest is just going to lead to poor care. People are going to be neglected. And so my suggestion is regarding the HMOs, number one, that we stop allowing HMOs to make preemptive medical decisions. And then secondly, they require HMOs to demonstrate fraud rather than presume it. I have a I have a student in one of my classes, and Dr. Herbert, I, I'm kind of curious to hear if you've ever heard of cases like this. I had a student in one of my classes today. Uh, he's in, in an intro to philosophy class over at UTA, and he had a broken ankle. He went to the went to the hospital, had to have surgery on it. The doctor was uh, uh, getting approval for the surgery, and they told him he was going to have to wait a month to get the surgery on his ankle. The doctor said, hey, it's going to set by then in the wrong place, so he's got to have it. And the doctor had to go through all these forms and requests for emergency care in order to get the insurance just to approve him having this surgery so that he could get his ankle fixed. Uh, He did finally get it now, but it just seems ridiculous that we allow the HMOs to make preemptive decisions that they are being uh, defrauded this uh, money from a patient who actually needs health care. Shouldn't they have to demonstrate that there's fraud instead of being able to presume that there's fraud and reject the care out of hand? Uh, Dr. Herbert, have you seen cases like that, and do you, does what I'm saying make any sense to you on that? It does, but I, I do think, and I'm sorry I didn't get to hear your discussion yesterday. I wish to, maybe I'd get a tape of it. Yeah, it's online, actually. I'm a little bit familiar with uh, with Michael Moore's movie, but... I do think that that on the other side of the coin, there's there's also overutilization by the healthcare industry. Too. Oh sure. And so sure. people tend to think, well, I need you know the doctor says I need the surgery, so I need it. And even though the HMO may be sitting there saying, well, this doesn't meet the criteria of the American College of Orthopedic Surgeons. Sure. And so that that may be part of the delay. It's a pretty complex type type question. Oh, I, I, I think believe Michael me, Moore I understand. Tends to negate the effect of the healthcare industry itself that right. drives utilization. Well, I do understand that, and I understand that when we had a purely fee-for-service industry, that overutilization was even going more haywire than now. Well, and uh, it could have been if that young man didn't have any insurance, they might have decided not to do surgery. Right. Right. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I understand that. So okay. the, the criteria for doing the procedure or giving the medication or giving the treatment may be driven by the dollars, too. Well, let me try this second one. The second idea I have is to maintain physician control over prescriptions. I'm all for that. But, <laughs> but making physician incentives from pharmaceutical companies illegal somehow. You know, I totally agree with that. Okay. And I think... Probably most physicians would be online with that because we do realize, although most physicians don't realize with the cost of the medication to the patients and to the health plans, most physicians do realize that, that the majority of the research being done on pharmaceuticals now is driven by the healthcare, by uh, pharmaceutical companies themselves. Sure. And there's a, a huge clown, conflict of interest there. Yeah, sure, because they, they want their new medicine prescribed no matter what, even if it's not the best medicine, because they've got to make their money back from R&D. And, That's correct. Uh, sure. And, and, and some studies recently have shown that on those cases where research was done and it was shown that the drug was not as effective or had some kind of a, a bad side effect, that that information was squelched from mainstream medical literature because that would hurt the pharmaceutical sales. Right, yeah. Boy, I, I get that. And, you know, when you, when you see the amount of money that's going into and out of these pharmaceutical companies, it's, it's, it is pretty scary, uh, the amount of power that they have. Uh, but if a physician has a conflict of interest in terms of making getting more incentives from a pharmaceutical company to approve a medication or to agree with it or to prescribe it to more patients, then I just cannot see how that could lead to good care for the patients when they're uh, they're just being driven by this not not well it is their own profit interest uh, in money which is all right I I don't mind a doctor being motivated by money but not toward a conflict of interest with the patient's welfare well and, and of course that brings up the bigger issue too of, of physicians overutilizing uh, uh, surgery for example which sure which is very very hard to detect and, and, and right. discern but. But we know that goes on. Yeah, and we want to trust our physicians, and we do trust them. And I'm not uh, advocating that we take power out of their hands, but uh, I am encouraging that where we find conflicts of interest in the medical industry, we find a way to resolve that conflict by separating the powers that are present there. Now, if you're listening online, right? I mean, if you're listening on the radio right now and you didn't get to hear the show yesterday when we were talking about Michael Moore and uh, his uh, docudrama mental comedy th- farce of art thing. If you didn't get to hear that, uh, if you want to listen to the show, it's uh, it's available by going to www.jerryjohnsonlive.com and then click on the click here to listen to online archives and you'll be able to listen into it. And we want to invite you to do that. Uh, but right now we want you to stay uh, here. We're going to have a break in just a second. Then I'm going to come back. I've got two more suggestions to pass by Dr. Herbert. But then after that, I want to ask him to share his testimony with us about how the Lord changed his life uh, and what some of the things are that the Lord changed in his life. And I want us to be able to talk about one of those things that changed in him, which is uh, the use of alcohol and being gone. And I want to know your opinion on that, whether you think toleration or moderation, I mean, is the solution or if abstinence altogether is the solution. I'll definitely give you my opinion. I've got no problem doing that. We'll look for you right after the break here on Jerry Johnson Live. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Criswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. 
See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Hey, welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. Uh, fairly frequently, Thursday is Theology Day here, and we talk about some theological topic. We're going to do that in a minute, talking about uh, Christians and alcohol, the use of alcohol. Now, we're not going to do it from a legalistic perspective. I'm not going to get on here and just uh, point my finger at you and tell you why you're all sinners and uh, need to quit doing it. We are all sinners, and we need to stop doing it. But uh, it's not about pointing the finger and telling you that. It's about figuring out what's the best thing for us to do in serving the Lord. But before we get to that, I want to go back to Dr. Herbert here in just a minute and ask his opinion on uh, the healthcare industry. He's uh, been a physician for over 30 years and now is doing some consulting work with businesses about how to cut their uh, personnel uh, healthcare costs. So uh, I want to uh, mention this third suggestion. Uh, we've mentioned a couple just to talk about. This third one's less, less about the healthcare industry itself and more about our general demeanor as a society. And uh, the best way I can put it is to say we need to reassign risks and rewards back to the individual. I mean, we need to, we need to quit pretending that we can eliminate eliminate risk in our society, that we can make it so that there is no possibility that you're going to face something that's going to knock you off your feet. That's just not true. And the reality is that, well, just take, for example, we need to rethink malpractice awards. For instance, when we're including future pay in malpractice awards or any other kind of lawsuit award, what on earth are we thinking? We're saying to a person, now I understand where the motivation comes from. I understand the arguments behind it. But just, just think about what that means. I haven't done the work. I have not turned in the effort that brings back the money that I'm supposed to receive. But because I intended to and didn't get to, somebody owes me that money. As if, as if the world owes me a living, not I go and do something, and because I've contributed to the economy, I get this benefit from it, but the world owes me a living. I am able to do this thing. I was probably going to do it, so they have to give it to me. It's insane. And worse yet, it's not the employer that we're holding liable for that. That would be bad also. That's a different thing. We're drawing from this magic pool of money, who knows where, that's going to pay these people for what they weren't able to do in the future. So we end up with a person who has... uh, uh, some accident happened in surgery. You know, if it's it leg- legitimate malpractice and there's some kind of a penal award given against the physician, that's that's uh, more power to the court system to figure out what that ought to be. But to say you ought to receive future income because you weren't able to work is, uh, well, to make the point that we're trying to eliminate risk from the world. And it makes no sense to do that. I think we need to put risk back into uh, the individual and say your risks and rewards are based on your behavior and the things that happen to you. And whether they're accidental or intentional, it's a reality of life that we face those risks. In fact, uh, if we don't do that, if we don't uh, reattach benefits and costs to personal behavior, uh, acknowledge that if you have wealth, you have more stuff. If you have poor habits, you're more likely to put yourself at a greater health risk. If we don't start doing that, I don't think we're ever going to solve the problems with the healthcare industry. Now, I know that was a mouthful and a bunch of stuff to talk about. Most of it didn't have anything to do directly with the healthcare industry, but I think it would change the costs that are in the healthcare industry if we actually adopted a new mentality about it. Dr. Herbert, are you still there? Yes, I am. 
Do you have any take on any of that that I was just talking about? Well, I think you you, you put it very eloquently because... Uh, <laughs> That's what I was looking for you to say. Well... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, Go ahead. Well, I totally agree <laughs> with you that that it, it is hard to, to do that, to tie the cost into those people that are taking bigger risks, but... But uh, it isn't fair. That, and really, in reality, the money does come out of all of our pockets. Because yeah. If you have health care coverage at Criswell College, that's a reduction in your salary. If you sure. go to wherever you're working, if you've got benefits, you think, well, these are great benefits. Really, that's a reduction in your salary. You are paying sure. all of it. Sure, that's exactly right. Now, and my last suggestion is this, and then we're going to move on to the next topic. My last suggestion is that we revert charitable organ you know to using charitable organizations to do charity that we stop pretending that the government is the place you turn when you are uh, without a safety net the safety net ought to be on the compassion of people who have committed themselves to compassionate ministry we used to have baptist hospitals that were actually baptist or methodist hospitals that were actually methodist or catholic hospitals likewise because they wanted to provide care for people who couldn't afford it otherwise so uh, I'm thinking, uh, I, and I know, that's you say, well, that's a risk. Well, that's the whole point, that there need to be people in a culture who take up that slack because they actually care about it and not just because we think the government can pick it up. What's your opinion on that, Dr. Herbert? Anything? Well, I mean, I, I agree with that, too. Uh, I do think that the whole idea behind what a hospital stands for came from the parable of the Good Samaritan from Jesus, from yeah. his own word. Yeah, there you go. And we need to be taking care of our of our fellow men and not... I don't. I don't have a problem with hospitals and physicians making a living at it, but but there sure. are a lot of uh, big profits. Well, in all sectors of the healthcare industry, too. Yeah, sure. And that's. Yeah, I understand money's, that. To agree money's, with it. Unfortunately, money's driving most of it. Well, you were in the healthcare industry before you were a Christian, and uh, I have heard your testimony before. And I, I wish we had a lot of time to do it. We have to do it very briefly right now. But just tell us about what your life was like before you got saved, very briefly, and then how you got saved and what the Lord changed in you since then. Would you? Well. Mind? Uh, before I was saved, uh, I would say that I was uh, a, a don't careist. I wasn't really an atheist, but I didn't really care about faith and issues of faith and, and belief in God. And I was consumed by my career, and I was consumed by material things in the world. And um, I had a lot of other other issues going on. But uh, you want me to just go ahead and continue on about what happened? Yeah, tell us about okay. it. Okay, um, I had a. Actually, Jesus was my midlife crisis at age 46. Uh, <laughs> Better than a sports I, car. That's true. Uh, I, uh, I got into, uh, we got into a marital crisis, and uh, everything that was of any value to me all of a sudden was, looked like it was going to all go away. Well, what made you realize that it was all disappearing? Anything in particular? Uh, well, uh, my wife filed for a divorce, and uh, wow. the kids were leaving, and uh, I had an empty home, and and I was a little bit blindsided because I was I was so attuned to basically myself and my career and, and, and um, you know making money and making a good living that uh, I just had ignored a lot of the issues that were going on. I was also drinking fairly heavily, and uh, uh, just there's a lot of characteristics of my behavior that I you know that looking back I just can't believe that I did that, but I did. Yeah. How long ago was that, by the way, that this changed? That was about eleven years ago. Okay. And uh, what happened then? Then, uh, out of desperation and in, in a, sort of in a mind of suicide, I, I cried out to the Lord and said, "If you are real, you know, show me." And uh, He did. He saved me, and He yeah. changed just virtually everything about my life. Yeah. Uh, first of all, He drew He drew me to Him, and I became uh, close to the Lord and had an uh, insatiable thirst to know Him better. Yeah. And uh, He also drew me to my wife, and He healed our marriage. And 
and I consider that a, a, a certainly a God thing because so many marriages now end up in divorce, and sure. ours is one that Satan didn't get. And uh, I'll be eternally grateful to him and, and to my sweet wife for that. She prayed for me, by the way, for 22 years before this occurred. She was a strong Christian during that time. Wow. But he changed a lot of things in my life that I wasn't expecting. Right. And one of them was the alcohol. I know that you had mentioned that earlier. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. And I was drinking episodically very heavy on weekends and also during the week. And uh, But to me, I didn't consider it a problem. And I think I was like most people that have a problem with alcohol. They deny the fact that they've got a problem. Right. And so when the Lord came into my life, he took away that desire completely, like overnight. I'm one of those people, I guess, that can get up and say, the Lord really changed this in me. And I wasn't expecting it. I, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't say, Lord, fix this problem. Yeah. He just took it away completely. And, uh, and, and we know sometimes the Lord does it that way, and sometimes he right. has you go through a long process to, to bring about that change. But he, but he does make changes. Right. Yeah. And since that time, uh, what direction has your life gone? Well, it's just it's been like it's stepping into a different world. Yeah, um, our marriage uh, has healed and has become a real blessing to both of us. We've got plugged into a, a great church, and by the way, God has really blessed us as a church uh, by having you there as an interim at a, at a very important time in our church. That's good that you squeeze that in. That's the other reason I called you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that got said. We really appreciate the the ministry God's placed you in for that reason, um, but uh, the alcohol issue went away, the yeah. language issue went away, the uh, the desire to yeah. acquire material things started shedding completely, and we got into a real giving mode in the church, and He just changed everything. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a great thing when the Lord changes the inside. You know when you really come to Christ and you figure out that your life was not where it ought to be, and you call out to the Lord. He does change the inside, and when he changes the inside, everything else changes. The behavior changes, like you said, the language, the, the alcohol, the other things like that. Um, the, they just become different. Dr. Herbert, I, I just really appreciate your taking time to first share that with us, because regardless of what else we think about, whether it's political or behavioral, our number one concern is that people realize that knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest thing there is. I mean, that, that's exactly that right. changes that's everything for eternity. all of our health care problems, too. Yeah, well, no doubt about that. That's Absolutely right. So he, he changes lifestyles. So here's my question for the audience today. Uh, after the break, I'm going to be inviting you to call back and give us your opinion on these things. Uh, you know, we realize describing alcoholism here is not the same as saying that every drink is wrong. I do believe that drinking is wrong, period. I don't have any problem saying that. But to, but to the audience out there, I'm just saying to you, after the break, I want to invite you to call in and, and address that question yourself, because that's my question. I mean, we all know alcoholism is wrong, but is drinking alcohol wrong altogether? Is abusing alcohol like, for instance, abusing food? Or is there something actually wrong with the alcohol itself? I, I want you to call in. Give me your opinion about that. Is moderation regarding alcohol like moderation regarding food? Is it something where we can just uh, find a happy medium, drink a little but not too much? Is that what we're going to say as Christians? Or are we going to say, uh, like we did a long time ago in most, uh, in most circles, uh, no drinking, teetotal, abstinence is the only way. And so uh, I'm a teetotaler. Got no problem with that. I'm, I'm, I'm not only a teetotaler myself. 
myself, I think you ought to be a teetotaler. So if you don't agree with that, man, I, I don't think you're I don't think you can't be a Christian. I don't think you're absolutely lost in your way. So with respect, I'd love to hear you come and make your arguments and let's talk about them. We'll bring up a few of the issues uh, why I'm bringing this up right now. There's a study done recently on alcohol abuse in the United States that I think is pretty interesting that I want us to talk about. But uh, the results of it are we need to figure out the best way to live as Christians in this world, to demonstrate Christ in this world. We need to figure out what kind of vocabulary we're going to use regarding our behavior and behavior including things like alcohol. So uh, you call in right after the break. We'll give you the number. We'll talk together. We'll figure out how we can serve the Lord the best in his kingdom in this world on Jerry Johnson Live. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Hey, welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. Glad to be talking with you today. First, uh, to resolve our topics from yesterday and sort of get those out of the way, and then to introduce the topic of uh, Christians and uh, the use of alcohol. I have no qualms saying to you whatsoever that I I believe it's absolutely wrong that Christians should not drink, and uh, there's no no case in which I'm going to look at that and say, oh, well, it's okay in that circumstance. not ever going to do it. So uh, I want us to figure out if you want to know why that is, why I would say that, and I want to know if you're on the other side why you would say that. And I'll commit to you right off the bat that I'm not going to assume that you drink just because you're arguing the other side. There are plenty of people who argue the other side, but themselves would never take a drink because they don't want to be a stumbling block to someone else. So we'll all agree on that together. We're not just going to presume that someone's drinking alcohol because they're arguing the other side. I'll say most of my friends who disagree with me about this would never drink. They would never drink personally. They just say, well, I can't find biblical justification for saying this. I don't know how they can say that. That. I find plenty of biblical justification for saying what I do, but uh, we'll, we'll figure that out as we talk through this. Now, I've got uh, one person already on the line, David. Uh, let me just, before we talk to David, I'm sorry I forgot to do this, let me give out the number. I guess he already had it. Uh, 1-800-881-9270. If you want to make a comment on the use of alcohol, if, you, if you're a teetotaler, you know, capital T, totally no alcohol whatsoever, uh, like I am, then good. Call in, support that side. You, you know, make a reasonable claim here. Uh, but if you can do that, that's great. If you're on the other side and you say, well, I I just don't see what the big deal is, why we can't be moderate about this thing, uh, then that's fine. 1-800-881-9270, or you can email talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Okay, David, you're on the line. What's your comment? Oh, thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for calling. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say I'm uh, in the group that doesn't believe that drinking in itself is bad. Now, drunkenness is obviously bad, uh, but I think it's when you say that drinking itself is bad, you're putting the focus on the wrong thing because then you're saying that uh, eating or, or anything else that God said is good is also bad because you can abuse it. Sure, I... Uh, you can abuse anything. I mean, people sure. have died here in Dallas from over-drinking water. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's right, water poisoning. You can't drink water it's because true. that's bad for you. It's true, but, it, but it's false to say that that's the argument that I'm making because it's not. There's a difference between, uh, the, uh, b- between the kinds of substances that are inherently addictive and then the kinds of things that are in people that make them uh, uh, tend toward addiction or abuse of substances. There's a big difference. In other words, there are some things which are incidentally addictive 
or habit forming. Picking your fingernails like I used to do when I was a kid is habit forming. But that's because I have a tendency to it. There can't be anything wrong with fingernails. We understand that. It's the same with food or with anything else. We can attach habitual or addictive behavior to anything because of the things that are in us. But there are some objects which in themselves, as they relate to human beings, have addictive properties to them. And it's those things that we're trying to talk about right now. For instance, in Proverbs 23, the passage I always go to first when I'm talking about alcohol, in Proverbs 23, the statement is, be not even among those who drink, among wine-bibbers or among riotous eaters of the flesh, because drunkards and gluttons come to poverty. Now, all of us are going to agree with that. That's no problem. But I want you to get the point of this passage, all of us as an audience today, to get the point of this passage. He says in verse 29 of Proverbs 23, who is it that has woe and sorrow and contention and that babbles at the mouth and has wounds but can't remember what caused them and red eyes and so on? And the answer is the drunkard, of course, in verse 30, they that tarry long at the wine, those who go to seek mixed wine. And then he says, but what's the solution to drunkenness? In verse 31, not to look at the wine when it is appealing, when it's red, when it looks right in the cup, when it moves itself aright. Because at the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder, and your eyes behold strange women, and your heart utters perverse things, and you'll be like one that lies down in the middle of the ocean or on top of a, of a, of a ship's mast, and you'll say, they struck me, but, but I didn't feel it. They, they beat me, but it didn't hurt. When am I going to wake up? I will seek it yet again. There's the addictive behavior that's associated particularly with this mind-altering chemical that's in wine, alcohol. And it's not the same kind of thing that's described with a glutton. It's not the same kind of behavior described with Nowhere in the Bible does it say gluttony is a sin and therefore we ought to avoid food because there's not a problem inherent in food being addictive. But there is an inherent problem with alcohol being addictive. And when a person has personal tendencies toward addiction and they're participating with some substance that's addictive, then it's double trouble. But that doesn't change the fact that the alcohol is the start of the trouble in this case. Well, there's our, there's our first run at it. That was a really good call and, and exactly the right issue that needed to, brought, to be brought up. Thank you for that. Kathy in Fort Worth, I know you've also uh, got a comment to make. Uh, yes. A few years ago, I served with a mission agency in Africa, and I was asked to sign a no-drinking policy. Uh-huh. Well, uh, being from America and being a traditional conservative American Christian, I did not have a problem with that and understood the reasons behind that sure. policy in Africa, in the mission agency. Sure. But interestingly, we served with many, many, in fact, there were more Europeans on that mission compound than right. there were Americans. Sure. And they were absolutely up in arms over that policy. Isn't that funny? Because they very much believe that, of course, the Bible says, you, you know, do not be drunk, you know, sure. and so forth. And that was where they were coming from with that. And interestingly, I have to tell you, do you know what upset them more than drinking? was that American missionary women Wouldn't. wore makeup. Oh, well, was, I can believe that. It no, was a huge, yeah. huge issue. I can them. believe that. I mean, Huge issue. Because there are two separate things going on there, and cultural sensitivity is always important. You know, when we're yeah. in a culture, we don't want to create barriers. So I, right. I, 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 we ought to be more sensitive to that. You're right. Go ahead. Absolutely. I, I, well, and, you know, prostitutes in their countries wear a lot of makeup. Right. There you so go. So they equivocated sure. that. Yeah, sure. And I guess my position on this, I, I will say I drink a glass of wine occasionally. I am very careful about drinking around non-believers. I'm very careful with who I drink around. But you just and broadcast I, to thousands of people that you do it. Doesn't that, 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 that's, doesn't that worry you a little bit? 
It doesn't. It really doesn't because I've never wow. been drunk, and I know that it I doesn't worry you that drunk. That, that the likelihood is then that people are going to hear you say that, and they're going to say, I mean, I'm just trying to be reasonable about it. They're going to say, well, okay, it's okay to drink a little. And then well, even in 30, your own words, though, you just said that if we know we're prone to addiction, if no, we no. know we have problems. I only said that was double trouble. <laughs> I, the, 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 Proverbs, the, the proverb does not say, and if you are prone to addiction, then make sure you don't look at wine when it's red in the cup. It, it says, how do you avoid drunk? Never drink. That's the solution. And well, so that's and why I'm suggesting that. it. On the other side, you have Paul who tells Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach. Why do you think he, he had to tell him that, Kathy? Why do you think he had to tell him that? Excuse me? Why do you think he had to tell him that? Why wouldn't well, Timothy just already do that? Well, I don't know, to be quite honest, but I do well, know it's, it's to do it. The, the, the rational conclusion, the one drawn by Paige Patterson when he speaks about this particular issue also, is that Timothy refused to drink it, even though at the time, not only was it a little, but it was the only medicine that he knew to prescribe to him, to say you need to do something. Now, I'm not even sure I'm willing to read the passage that generously for people who use it this way, but going along with Paige Patterson, the idea is Timothy refused to drink even a little bit. Like It would be for us like taking NyQuil or something like that. He refused to do it, and Paul had to say to him, I know you abstain, but you need to take it now just for your health. And so just take a little for your health's sake. That fact seems to support the idea that in Ephesus, at least, among a thoroughly imbibing culture, uh, I mean, we're talking about where Diana was worshipped, after all, uh, he had to say to Timothy, drink a little. This, this is the, you, you've got to take a little of this for your medicine. Now, again, I'm not sure I even read it that way, but if it's the case, abstinence seems to be the thing being advocated, at least by Timothy. Uh, well, and I think he, if he was doing abstinence, it was because he was in a culture where he very much needed to watch that. And oh, no, that's what do. I was saying. I, I mean, in Ephesus, they were imbibers. You need to be careful. But then you have Jesus who made wine at the wedding. What do you do with that? Oh, well, no problem. Uh, uh, let's take let's take John two and talk about it for just a second. Do you mind staying on the line for a second, Kathy? Because you're doing a great job. Uh, let's take John two because most people bring that up. Uh, the story about Jesus turning the water into wine. You know, there are four different things wine might use. We never know which one it's talking about, and unless it's by context, unless it tells us which one it is. Some of those are alcoholic. Some of them are non-alcoholic. I'm not going to go through all four right now because we'll run out of time before the break. But I just want to say some of them are alcoholic. Some of them are not alcoholic. So I don't know whether what he made was alcoholic or not based on that passage because it doesn't say it. Neither does a person who believes it's alcoholic. It just doesn't say it. I will say, though, that at the end of the story, you know, when the man comes up and says, wow, you've saved the best wine for last because this is better than others. Most people, and it is the last, remember, of the celebration, he says most people, they would uh, get the cheap wine out at the end because everybody's drunk and they can't taste it anyway. But you saved the best for last. How does that guy make the judgment? This is the head of the uh, party. How does he make that judgment if they were drinking fermented wine, alcoholic wine? He he should already be stoned out of his mind. And now he's got another keg of alcoholic wine to drink from that would just make him in more of a stupor. But instead, he's speaking as if he can still pass judgment on whether it's good or not. Well, uh, Kathy, we're going to run out of time before you get to make any more comments on it. But thank you for your call and thanks for your input on it. I, uh, I really appreciate uh, what you've said. I, I don't think it's irrational to hold your position. I just think it's a really dangerous position for us to get into as Christians, because we are inviting people to consider that uh, exposing themselves to this addictive behavior is all right, just so long as they don't go too far. 
Now, let me just say, most people think, well, that's, you know, that's just a few people that slip into alcoholism or something like that. But here's the reason I brought the topic up today. There was a study conducted here at the end of June. It was reported on on July 2nd by uh, uh, Carla Johnson with the Associated Press that more than 30 percent of American adults have abused alcohol or suffered from alcoholism at some point in their lives. We're not talking 3 percent. 30 percent have abused alcohol, not, not just drunk but abused alcohol at some point in their lives. So we're not talking about a minor issue here or something that bothers a few people. We're talking about something that has messed up the lives of 30% of the people in our culture where now sometimes churches and Christian leaders are saying it's okay to drink some, it's okay to do that, and opening the floodgates to this destructive behavior in people who are accepting their word for it. Well, I want to invite you to call back with your comments some more after the break on Jerry Johnson and live. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Chriswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Hey, thanks for coming back after the break to Jerry Johnson Live here. We're talking about the use of alcohol among Christians. Uh, I'm obviously opposed to it. I've always been opposed to it. I recognize my own weakness that it might just be some vestige of my legalistic past that causes me to refuse to acknowledge that drinking might be okay. But on the other side, no matter how hard I work at it, no matter what I try to say to myself to say, well, you know, maybe it's okay for somebody to do that, I am drawn back both to scriptures and to cultural truths that tell me that it just doesn't make sense. It does not make sense for us to approve of that. So I want us to uh, talk about it. Try to convince me. Talk, talk me into the other side. I really don't want to attack you. I mean, Kathy was a reasonable caller. She had a great point to make and enjoyed talking to her about it. I want to give you an opportunity to do that also. I want to talk about some other claims about uh, alcohol that we might make that might uh, reveal the significance of it in just a moment. So I think we've got Clint on the line. Clint, would love to get your opinion. What do you think? Uh, I personally, uh, I'm with you. Um, I think drinking's wrong. I mean, I've had a past where, uh, you know, I did the college thing, get into the drinking and everything, and I've done that in my past. And right. That I'm, I'm extremely proud about because for me uh, or anybody around me, I've never seen a time where alcoholism or drinking, period, ever created a good thing. Yeah, that's a that, that's a serious question. I mean, what's the redeeming 
quality of alcohol. There's only there's only one context in which alcohol is given a redeeming quality in Scripture, and that's when it's given to someone who's dying or someone who's injured, something like that, or in pain or sorrow. But the point of that passage isn't that it's good to drink. The point of that passage at the very end of Proverbs is that only a person who has no hope, only a person who has no other thing to live for, is uh, a person who would, who would make sense to give alcohol to. You don't give it to priests or to princes, the passage says at the end of Proverbs. So uh, I also agree. I just don't see any redeeming qualities to it. Now, I know our tendency is to say, hey, look, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. But I just want to remind you, unless you're going to—I don't want anybody to get hurt with Scripture here. You know, we can pull it out and hurt ourselves sometimes. I, I, I just want to remind you, unless you're going to say that somehow or another, alcohol is serving your spirit, you know, spirits for the spirit or something like that. Unless you're going to say that, that somehow it gets you closer to God or brings you to, and if it does that, I'm not sure you should share that with us. But if you say the spirits are somehow helping my spirit, if you're not willing to say that, then don't give me Christian liberty as an excuse for drinking, because we're not allowed to use our liberty as a justification for what we want to do in the flesh, good, wrong, or indifferent. Our liberty is about freedom from all those things so that we can serve one another. I know we have a couple of other callers on the line. Uh, I hate to keep you awake, and I appreciate that. Michael, uh, you're online in Arlington. Give us your, uh, give us your take on this. Uh, well, being that I, you caught me on the road in this argument. Uh, oh, sorry about that, but glad you called. Um, there's a scripture that says uh, God made wine to the hearts of men merry. Right, right. Yeah, I'm familiar and, with that. See, I mean... I believe that, obviously, the Bible is very clear on overindulgence or lack of self-control. Sure. I mean, I personally have a past from when I was a teenager where I drank a lot. Sure. But I'm almost 40, and I only drink maybe once or twice a year with a steak dinner on New Year's or something like that, and it only I always stop at two. Yeah. I won't, and it's usually wine. Yeah. And it'll be red wine, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. But I do think we have to be more cautious about becoming legalistic ourselves and dividing the Christian. Oh, I, I think and, and legalism is. Unity. Sure. I, I, well, first of all, let me just agree with you that legalism has just as many barriers between the gospel and the lost as drinking does. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you about that and just say uh, two wrongs don't make either one of them right. So uh, I, I'm, I have no problem with what you just said. I, I agree with that. I would say, though, on the other hand, uh, when you're thinking about that drink at New Year's or whatever it is, that you just consider what happened to me in a Sunday school class one time. <laughs> Not that we had wine in Sunday school, but, I mean, we talked about it. Uh, when the subject came up, uh, we were going around the room, and everybody was sharing their opinion. And I, I really do. I work hard at avoiding trying to be legalistic about things like this. Uh, but but avoiding legalism is not the same as avoiding an absolute moral claim. It's not the same. It, it's fine to be absolute in our claims, but not to pretend that just doing that makes us righteous in some way. So anyway, I was in Sunday school. I shared this with my Bible study group and uh, what my take on it was. And they were arguing back and forth and good arguments back and forth. But a man who had had uh, alcoholism in his past and his recent past, who had been fighting with it on and off again for uh, many years, in fact, a couple of decades, uh, and had found freedom from it finally. Uh, he looked at the rest of the class and at someone who was arguing adamantly in favor of drinking a little every once in a while. And he said, I just want to tell you that uh, if you drink, you know, when you drink, somebody like me watches you drink and we say, hey, it's okay. I can drink one. I, I can get by with one. And we are right back into the gutter where we were before. And I just I want to share with everybody out there 
there are always other people participating in your decisions. Always. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. And when you act, you have to take into consideration others. Now, I don't want I, I don't want the legalism that Michael was talking about to be ignored here. It's true that I don't want to sponsor the weakness of others. I don't want to take someone who's being a hypocrite because they're too legalistic and support their legalism. But this is not an issue like that. This is an issue where the solution to drunkenness has already been given to us. And the solution was simply do not drink. Stay away from the substance because it is too much of a problem. Do you realize in our culture, just for everybody's benefit out there, do you realize that in our culture, two-thirds of our violent deaths, two-fifths of all the divorces, one-third of all crimes are committed in association with alcohol and alcohol abuse. I mean, it's a result of drunkenness in one kind of one kind or another. Think about all the arguments that go along with this, y'all. I mean, when I'm approached by people who do advocate liberty, you know, this is the wording that they use for it. They advocate that it's okay to participate in things like this. You know, one of the arguments they raise is, well, what's the difference between uh, drinking alcohol and uh, uh, taking marijuana, for instance? I mean, what would the, what would the difference there be? Well, marijuana is illegal. Uh, okay, so our culture defines marijuana as illegal. Now, are you as a Christian really going to say that the only thing wrong with taking a drug like marijuana is that it's illegal? Is that really the only thing wrong with it? How about we go home at night and just have a toke or two before we go to bed? You know, just to help me relax and get to go to sleep. Come on, y'all. We can't do that. Alcohol is a liquid. We drink it. It's legal. We don't smoke it, and it's, and it's not illegal like marijuana. Is that really enough for you to say, this one's okay? We can go with that? I don't think so. And I, I just want to say to you, I know we run out of time so quickly when we're on topics like this. I hate that because there are so many other things I wanted to talk about. But I, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not sitting here telling you that drinking is the issue God is dealing with in your life. I don't know what he's dealing with in your life. But if he happens to be pointing you now toward addressing alcohol in your life, then I want you to consider that it may not have a place for you, may not have a place in a life that's committed to Christ. And you don't need it in order to find rest nor to escape pressure. It's a terrible example to fully one-third of the population around you. And I want to avoid legalism. I want to love those who drink, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. But I don't want to get caught up using the most pervasive drug in our culture, even though it's a legal one. Listen, whether you agree with me about alcohol or not is not the number one issue. As sure as I am that drinking is wrong, I am ten times more sure that quitting drinking won't make your life right. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective. 